What is up, Crimeaholics? It's your host, Holly, and I am back today to bring you one more episode from a guest podcaster. This episode is coming from Leah from Least of These, just like last week, and I am so excited to share it with you guys because it is a missing persons case, and you all know how passionate I am about the missing. Even though it is not Monday for Missy Mondays, I slacked off a little too much this week being busy with the holidays, but that is what the holiday season is all about. So I'm giving myself some grace here and bringing you this missing persons case on a Friday. We will be back on Monday with our regular scheduled Missing Mondays. Kenzie is bringing our first episode of the new year on that Monday. I want to say really quick that I hope everyone has a safe New Year's Eve. If you are going out and driving, if you're going to the bar, if you're going to a friend's, please be safe. Please do not drink and drive. Please have a designated driver. Call a cab, call an Uber, something like that. Do not put your life and others' lives at risk drinking and driving. It is just not worth it. With that said, I also hope that you guys, if you are out in the public, keep your eyes on the swivel, keep your head on the swivel. It is always my biggest fear that something is going to happen to myself or my friends while we are out just enjoying ourselves. And I would hate to hear of something like that happening to one of our listeners. So please be aware and take care. I also want to engage with you guys a little bit this week and find out what all of your New Year's resolutions are. I am going to make a post on both our Instagram, which is crimeaholics.podcast, and I'm also going to make a post on our Facebook group called Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group because I want to hear what you guys are doing for your New Year's resolution. I know the new year a lot of times is about this new year, new me, but there's little changes in our lives that we can make. For me, myself personally, the biggest one is I don't want to procrastinate. And I say that very lightly as a new year's resolution because I know myself and I know how I was in college and that was always my goal was not to procrastinate, but here I am, the biggest procrastinator of all time. So I think this year, that is going to be my New Year's resolution. I, of course, want to continue to be healthy and work out and make positive changes in my life as far as my diet goes because everyone knows that I love all carbs. But anyways, okay, I'm going to quit blabbing about myself. I just feel like I miss being in front of a microphone. Um this two weeks off has been very much needed. I've enjoyed my time with my family. Uh, also, for those that don't know, my husband is gearing up for his second deployment in less than 12 months. So over the next couple months, please keep my family in your thoughts. We greatly appreciate it. Everyone have a safe, happy, 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 happy new year. I love you all. We will be back next week with our own voices, with our own content. But for now, enjoy Leah from Least of These Podcast. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the case of Courtney Holden in Spokane, Washington. Let's get right to it. 
Courtney Holden was born on February 28, 1992. Her life was rocky from the start, and at a very young age, she entered the foster care system. Little Courtney was placed in the home of Judy Holden, and it didn't take long before she was adopted and officially became a Holden. Judy was an experienced foster mother, taking in multiple children over the years. There isn't much known about Courtney's early years or about life growing up in the Holden home. Judy Holden kept to herself and didn't exactly have a ton of friends. Perhaps that was by design. While on paper, it all sounded perfect. Judy selflessly taking in children who needed a home. Things aren't always what they seem. To get to the details about what was actually happening behind the closed doors of Judy Holden's home on Heroy Street, we'll have to fast forward 20 years or so. Courtney was now an adult but still living with her adopted family. And though we don't know much about her life growing up, there is one thing everyone who knew her would agree on. She had dreams of becoming a mom and starting her own little family. A friend of Courtney's spoke out on the podcast, Q6 Cold Case, in an episode titled The House on Heroy, and said Courtney was excited when she found out she was pregnant in 2012. For Courtney, this was a dream come true. In 2013, she gave birth to a happy, healthy baby boy, and it was all Courtney had dreamed of and more. Another thing everyone would agree on, Courtney was an excellent mom. She always put her little boy's needs ahead of her own, and though things didn't work out with the baby's father, she knew how important it was to have him in the child's life, so they co-parented pretty well together. According to KXLY, Courtney had custody of her son, and a parenting plan was put in place for the child's father, Michael Dowd, to come and visit. The arrangements seemed to work out well up until the boy was about five, and Michael began to struggle with substance abuse issues. Seemingly not wanting his son to see him in that condition, and knowing this had become something he couldn't handle on his own, he sought help. For two years, the visits to see his son stopped, but not completely. Although Michael wasn't physically going to see their son, his current girlfriend, Autumn, tried to keep in contact with Courtney. But slowly, communication ceased. Months passed with no word from Courtney. Autumn grew more and more concerned and tried to at least figure out where Courtney was, but no one seemed to know and it didn't seem anyone was doing anything about it. So on October 8, 2019, Autumn called the Spokane Police Department to report Courtney Holden missing. And not only was Courtney missing, Autumn explained that she hadn't seen or heard from her in 18 months. She gave officers Courtney's last known address, the Holden home on Heroy Street. They responded to conduct a welfare check, and a man named Joshua Holden answered the door. He told the responding officer that Courtney had taken her now seven-year-old son and run off with her trucker boyfriend, a boyfriend he didn't even know the name of. The exchange with Joshua Holden was strange, to say the least. After he told the tale about Courtney and the unknown trucker, he pretty much slammed the door on the officer and refused to cooperate further. But officers were already familiar with him, and not for good reasons. Who was Joshua Holden? Joshua was Courtney's adopted older brother, 
and Josh had a record of violent offenses three and a half CVS receipts long, according to court records obtained by KHQ News. Over the years, Josh was charged in multiple instances of domestic violence, had at least 10 people take restraining orders out against him, several violations of those orders, had been charged with false imprisonment, convicted of burglary, and a suspect in the rape of a woman in 2003. And again in 2005, he had been accused of raping yet another woman. Court documents revealed as this woman tried to escape, he grabbed her and said, I'm not done with you yet. He was charged in the 2005 rape, but like many of these incidents, Josh was only charged and never convicted because his victims refused to testify out of fear of Joshua Holden. Josh was intimidating. He was six foot four, roughly 300 pounds, and known for violent outbursts. Family members eventually came forward and told officers that Joshua bragged about knowing how to kill someone and hide a body. This history, along with the strange story he told the officer, and the fact that he and his mother were uncooperative with what was initially a simple welfare check, left the responding officers with a gut feeling that something was very wrong. So the case was turned over to detectives with the Major Crimes Unit. On the same day Courtney was reported missing, October 8, 2019, according to the Spokesman Review, $600 was withdrawn from her bank account and groceries were purchased with Courtney's food stamps. And then there was the call. A call came into Crime Check, which is Spokane's crime reporting hotline. On the other end of the phone was a woman claiming to be Courtney, and she told a police dispatcher as well as a representative of Crime Check that she was fine. Case closed, right? There was activity on Courtney's bank account, her benefits were being used, and she had called stating everything was okay. And this all happened on the day she was reported missing. It was all too convenient for detectives. They wanted to lay eyes on Courtney themselves, so they kept stopping by and asking to speak with her. On one occasion when they popped in, Josh refused to speak with them. He claimed he just didn't have the time because he was busy taking care of a sick cat. There was no time to discuss his missing adopted sister. The cat was sick. Josh obviously had his priorities. On October 10, 2019, police were back out at the house on Heroy Street. This time, Judy Holden allowed them inside to take a look around. Detectives noted that she was extremely nervous and freaked out when she lost sight of one of the officers. The house was a hot mess, with clutter in every corner. Except when it came to Courtney's room. In Courtney's room, the bed was bare with no sheets, pillows, or blankets. And it didn't appear that any of Courtney's belongings were in the room. Investigators attempted to look into Courtney's son's room, but Judy stopped them before they got the chance. And not only prevented them from searching the boy's bedroom, but called a grinding halt to the search of the home, period, and told the officers to leave. So they did. Remember, there was no search warrant, at least not yet. This was all voluntary. Legally, the police didn't have a choice. The Holden family was looking more suspicious by the minute. 
investigators needed to pinpoint the last time anyone outside of that home had physically seen Courtney. But that would prove to be a difficult task. As investigators obtained video surveillance, spoke to neighbors and friends, interviewed witnesses, and learned the truth about Josh and Judy and Courtney's life behind the closed doors of the Holden home, a horrific story unfolded. The pieces of Courtney's life were put together by detectives as best they could. Those details began to trickle out to the public with KXLY, The Spokesman Review, and KHQ News reporting on Courtney's case. Those, along with a timeline at Uncovered.com, were the sources I used to piece together what we know about Courtney's disappearance. For clarity purposes, I'm going to start at the beginning, which means we'll have to rewind a few years back to 2014, when Joshua Holden moved back into the Holden home with his mother Judy, Courtney, and Courtney's son. Because it seems that's when things really started going to hell in a handbasket. Apparently, Judy had divorced from Joshua's father that same year, and 35-year-old Joshua moved back home to help his mother. Joshua wasn't the only addition to the home. He brought with him several security cameras and mounted them all over the outside of the house, pointing in all different directions, and placed signs throughout the yard stating, Smile, you're on camera. Josh didn't only take control of the yard he also took control of Courtney and her young son. As the years ticked on with Josh living in the home, things went from bad to worse. One neighbor reported to KHQ that it, quote, wasn't happy there. The Holdens stayed to themselves and only came out in the evening or at night. If Courtney's young son went out to play, Judy and Josh would yell for him to get back in the house. Courtney didn't have a cell phone, a car, or even the freedom to come and go as she pleased, even though at this point she was an adult with a child of her own. She confided in friends that she was scared to leave the house because of the cameras. Josh would know if she was sneaking out. Courtney called another neighbor several times, always in the middle of the night, crying, saying Josh was out of control and wouldn't allow her to have a life. Family members, friends, neighbors, and acquaintances saw Courtney with bruises and black eyes over the years, and she told them that Josh was responsible. But no one reported anything to authorities. According to neighbors, Josh and Judy didn't even call Courtney by her name, but instead referred to her as Cindy, which was short for Cinderella because she was the one who did all of the work. And it wasn't just Courtney who got a new name. Judy and Josh began calling Courtney's son Forrest, which was not his government name, and further, they refused to allow the boy to call Courtney mom. Instead, the boy was to call Judy mom and Joshua dad. Again, they were mother and son. This wasn't something they tried to hide either. Neighbors reported hearing the little boy calling the mom and son duo mom and dad on the occasions they were outside doing yard work. Courtney had been completely stripped away from the title she held closest to her heart, and soon she'd be stripped away from every bit of contact she had with the outside world. Since she didn't have a phone or car, she used Facebook to communicate. One friend reported that they remained in contact 
almost every day via Facebook. That was until sometime in early 2018. Courtney's last message to the friend was, I gotta go, I gotta go, Josh is coming. She never heard from Courtney again. Witness accounts, medical records, social media, and activity on Courtney's bank account and benefits were used to develop a timeline of when police believe the last time Courtney was seen alive. Courtney Holden last seen a doctor in October of 2017. She reportedly had a medical condition that required prescription medication, medication that she picked up from the pharmacy monthly. Here's where it gets a tad bit confusing. The Spokane City Police Department's page and NamUs list the last known sighting of Courtney alive as April of 2018. But court documents reveal several different sightings of Courtney after that date. These accounts are documented in court records and have been widely reported. It's likely the April date is listed to encourage those who may have seen Courtney Holden at any point in 2018 to come forward and speak with investigators. There are huge gaps in time which Courtney is completely unaccounted for. Or it's possible the April sighting was listed early on in the investigation and never updated. Regardless of the reason, the discrepancy exists. And I think it needs to be said here that if you saw or spoke to Courtney Holden at any point in 2018 and have not given your account to investigators, please reach out to the Spokane Police Department and do so. You may hold a piece of the puzzle investigators need that you don't even realize you have. With that said, let's get back to the story. Courtney was last seen by a doctor in October of 2017. In July of 2018, it's reported that she picked up her prescription medication for the last time. According to court documents obtained by KHQ, a neighbor came forward and told police that the last time they had seen Courtney was roughly a month later in August of 2018. The story the neighbor told was petrifying. She informed investigators that she had seen Courtney attempting to leave the home, dragging a large duffel bag behind her. As Courtney struggled to leave, Judy screamed at her, saying, Get back in that house. Courtney responded, I'm not staying here anymore. That's when six foot four, 300 pound Joshua Holden picked Courtney up and carried her into the house against her will. Once again, no one reported a thing, and that neighbor never saw Courtney again. Another neighbor told police that two nights in a row after this incident, she saw Joshua Holden in his backyard using spotlights to install a swing set. The spotlights were necessary because he was out there building this swing set in the middle of the night. Days turned into weeks, weeks into months, and eventually nearly two years passed with no one hearing from or seeing Courtney. There was continued activity on Courtney's bank account each month, and her EBT benefits were being used. But whenever anyone asked where Courtney was or if they could see her, they were given a whole host of excuses. She ran off with her trucker boyfriend. She was there but didn't want to talk or see anybody. They had just missed her, and the list goes on. 
As we know, Courtney's son's father's girlfriend, Autumn, got fed up with the excuses and called for that welfare check on October 8th of 2019. And then, on that very same day, $600 was withdrawn from Courtney's account and her food stamps were used at a grocery store. And that call was made to Crime Check, supposedly by Courtney, saying she was okay. As it turned out, investigators already knew the withdrawal and use of Courtney's food stamps wasn't done by Courtney. Oh no. Judy and Josh Holden were captured on surveillance video withdrawing the money and doing the grocery shopping with Courtney's EBT benefits. And there was someone else with them. Courtney's now seven-year-old child. You know, the one that was supposedly off on some grand adventure with a truck driver and his mom? Detectives had also been told the same day they initially showed up for that welfare check by a neighbor that this neighbor had seen Joshua, Judy, Courtney's son, and one of Courtney's adopted sisters drive off together in a van. That call to crime check would later be traced back to that adopted sister. And when asked why she had called a tip line claiming to be her missing sister, she gave absolutely zero explanation. That's it. That's what all the reporting says. She had no explanation. None, zip, nada. All of this and the fact that Judy Holden had abruptly stopped the voluntary search and threw the police out was enough for them to return, this time with a search warrant. On October 24, 2019, the Spokane Police Department showed up to the Holden residence, search warrant in hand. But when they arrived, Josh and Judy Holden, Courtney's son, and the family pets were nowhere to be found. And that's not all that was missing. The DVR with all of the footage from the multiple cameras plastered all around the house had been taken as well. But in their rush seemingly to skip town, a lot was left behind. Police seized 82 items from the home, including ID cards, 18 cell phones, computers, Courtney's journal, and what were described in court documents as handwritten blackmail notes. Cadaver dogs were utilized in the search of the home as well, but they didn't find anything. Investigators needed to get Joshua and Judy in for questioning and make sure Courtney's son was safe. They didn't have enough to charge them with anything relating to Courtney's disappearance, but they did have enough to charge both of them with identity theft for withdrawing money from Courtney's account and using her benefits. But they'd have to track them down first. The first lead came just weeks later in mid-November of 2019, when Joshua and Judy's cell phone numbers were deactivated, and two new numbers with Texas area codes activated on the same account, which was associated with both of them on the same day. According to the spokesman, right around this time, a neighbor called police and told them that there was someone at the Holden home. When investigators arrived, they found one of Judy's daughters along with her husband. They had flown in from, you guessed it, Texas, to check on the house. When asked if they knew where Courtney was, the pair told police they hadn't seen her in two years. When asked about Judy's whereabouts, they informed officers that she was off on a retirement road trip. You know, because she would never just dip out to dodge police. And when it came to Courtney's son, 
they couldn't keep their story straight. Judy's daughter told police that Courtney had him with her, and the husband said the child was with Joshua and Judy. This was a whole entire child they were talking about here, not some minor, easily mixed-up detail. Judy must have thought Oklahoma was the place to be on this I'm-not-running-from-police-this-is-a-retirement-road-trip trip because investigators would later learn she and Josh had gone to an RV park in the Sooner State sometime in November. They checked in under fake names and stayed for a short time before heading off to their final hideout. According to Fox 41 Yakima, police later searched the RV and vehicle they believe Josh and Judy stayed at. If anything was found in relation to Courtney's disappearance, it was never released to the public. On December 16, 2019, the pair were located at Judy's daughter's house in Plano, Texas. Courtney's son was with them. Three days later, they were arrested in Plano on identity theft and custodial interference charges. Even after their arrest, Joshua and Judy refused to talk to police and wouldn't agree to be extradited back to Spokane. Courtney's son was reunited with his father, Michael Dowd. As investigators fought to get Josh and Judy back to Washington, the pandemic made its way to the United States, and citing health concerns, both Joshua and Judy were released from custody. According to KHQ's Haley Gunther, who has done an incredible job reporting on this case, in early 2021, Joshua Holden pled guilty to custodial interference and criminal mischief. He was sentenced to 135 days in jail for each count, with credit for time served. He has since been released. In April of 2021, Judy Holden pled guilty to second-degree custodial interference and has also completed her time. They're both free as a bird. But Courtney Holden is still missing. And those that know her fear she is no longer alive because if she were, she would be with her son. Michael Dowd spoke to KHQ and stated, I don't think this was an accident or anything like that. I think it's a strong possibility she was murdered. She wouldn't ever disappear and leave our son. She was a good mom. She'd never just leave him. Investigators have expressed that they also believe Courtney is deceased. They urge anyone with information to come forward. For years, Courtney Holden cried out for help. She told family members, neighbors, and the limited number of people she had communication with that she was being abused by her adoptive mother and brother. But those cries fell on deaf ears. Courtney was soft-spoken and withdrawn from years of abuse. But the signs were there, the black eyes and bruises, isolation and intimidation, and control. In desperation, she tried to make her escape, but Joshua Holden stopped her. And there were witnesses to this. Yet no one spoke up. It's beyond time for someone to speak up for Courtney. Her son deserves answers and she deserves justice. Someone out there knows something. Courtney Corinna Holden was last seen in Spokane, Washington, between April and August of 2018. She was 27 years old at the time of her disappearance, but would be 30 years old today. She's described as an indigenous female with black hair and brown eyes, 
standing between 5 foot 5 and 5 foot 7, approximately 150 to 170 pounds. If you have any information about Courtney, please contact Crime Check at 509-456-2233 and reference case number 2019-1912. One more quick thing before we go. According to the Domestic Violence Coordinating Council, domestic violence is defined as any abusive act between family members, ex-spouses, intimate partners, former intimate partners, dating couples, and former dating couples in which one party seeks to gain or maintain power and control over the other partner. This power and control is maintained through physical, sexual, emotional, or economic abuse, or psychological actions or threats of actions that influence another person, including any behaviors that intimidate, manipulate, humiliate, isolate, frighten, terrorize, coerce, threaten, blame, hurt, injure, or wound someone. We've all heard the term intimate partner violence, which is just what it sounds like, domestic violence between former or current intimate partners. But domestic violence also includes non-intimate partner violence, which is violence between individuals who are not intimate partners but have a familial relationship, such as mother, adult, son, or daughter, siblings, or even roommates. The tactics are the same. The only difference is the relationship. If you or someone you know are caught in a cycle of abuse, please reach out. Resources and help are available 24-7 at thehotline.org. You can also reach them by phone at 1-800-799-SAFE or text the word START to 88788. I'll be sure to link this information in the show notes. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook, at least of these podcasts. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you an all-new case next week, and I can't wait. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss out. You can finally get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month, and as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. I'll also post a link in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, for the love of all that's holy, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.